Um, if you've got a Bible, John chapter 11 um, is where we're going today. We're going to be in John chapter 11 for the next several weeks. We're starting a brand new series today um, called Grave Robbers. And this series, um, during this series, we're going to be looking at um, what has us buried and taking back what the enemy has stolen from us. Now, I know, I know that phrase probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you right now today, but over the next several weeks, um, that's going to come alive in you, and, and that's really going to be important. Um, today, let me start out with a confession. Not a question, um, but a confession. Because this is legit like my therapy time, when I get to come up here and I just get to say all the things that are wrong with me. And, and I think you like that. I think you like it when I confess because it lets you know it's okay to be jacked up um, because I'm jacked up too. And it maybe makes you feel a little bit better about yourself because you realize at least I'm not as bad off as that dude, right? So um, here's my confession. And, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that I'm going to get a lot of people kind of leaning into this, kind of resonating with this, because there's probably a lot of you in this room that are just like me. Here here it is. I have serious trust issues. Anybody with me on that? Anybody else? People who have real trust issues won't raise their hand. They're like, I don't trust you. I don't trust what you're going to do. Um, let me tell you some things I have trust issues with. Um, I have trust issues with people. Um, for example, maybe this has happened to you, maybe it hasn't, where somebody has called you and they've been like, hey, we need to get together because I've got an incredible business opportunity for you, which means I'm selling something and you need to buy it and you're the only sucker that I know that'll fall for this scam, right? Like, like that's happened to me. I don't know if it's happened to you. Um, I have a vacuum cleaner in my house I have owned for 21 years, right? 21, a Kirby vacuum cleaner. Anyone else have fallen into that thing? Some of you are like, I sold Kirby's. Thanks. Like, I got tricked into that. But I realized in the last service, like, I'm, I'm talking about this, and it hit me. Well, for 21 years, I've had the same vacuum cleaner. So I don't really know what I'm complaining about other than I paid $90,000 for a vacuum cleaner. So I've got trust issues with people. Um, I have trust issues with fast food restaurants because I used to work at one. <laughs> and I know what bored teenagers do when they're bored working at a fast food restaurant. Hey, so, some really quick pastoral advice for you. Fries are safe. Like, how, how many of you, like, you dominate the fries before you even pull out of the drive-thru? Come on, admit it. Like, you're not even out. You're reaching in the bag. You got handfuls of them. You're not even checking. All right, that's okay because the deep fryer is hot, probably burns off everything anyway. Probably cool. If you don't check your sandwich, that's on you. Like, legit. That is on you. That's like food roulette. That's like food eatery 101. Like check your sandwich. Because again, I'm just saying, bored te just think through that. Now everyone's now you're gonna think for it forever. Bored teenagers at my favorite fast food restaurant. All right, live with that. All right, I got I've got trust issues with the government. Anybody with me on that? Anybody? And listen, I'm gonna be an equal opportunity offender. I don't trust either side. Some of you are like, what about libertarians? Well, they're high, so you don't got to worry about them anyway. So, like, I, I got trust issues with the government. Um, let me get incredibly real, open, and honest with you. Sometimes, I have trust issues with God. Now, I know I'm not supposed to say that because I'm the pastor, and the pastor's supposed to have all his stuff together, right? But I don't. I, I don't. And, and I'm just going to be very honest with you. When I say I have trust issues with God, 
We're like, when I tell you I have trust issues with God, I'm not talking about I had trust issues eight years ago and I got everything worked out. Like, I had trust issues this week because I've been in situations this week where I'm like, okay, God, I love you, but for real, are you going to handle this or not? Like, hey, God, you know what's going on. Hey, God, you know all of this stuff. And, God, look what's happening right now. Look where I'm at. Look what's happening. Look at this situation. God, are you going to step in? Like, I've got trust issues. Every single person I know that would be willing to admit it, you've gone through a season, or maybe, maybe you're in a season right now where you've got or you've had some serious trust issues with God. I mean, you feel like he's not going to come through. And, and I don't know if you've ever prayed this prayer or not. I don't know if you've ever spoken this out loud. But I, and I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything like that. But I know a lot of people say, hey, God, if you don't come through, I'm done with you. Like, God, are you kidding me? God, you promised. God, you said. God, you called. God, you're telling me my next step, and God, I'm doing all of this, and, and, and God, this is what's happening. And I know a lot of people in this room, you've said that or you thought that, and the reason that you feel like that is you feel like you can't take it anymore, or you feel buried or surrounded by fear, anxiety, worry, doubt, depression. You just feel like everything is on top of you, and you get to a point where you're just crushed and overwhelmed. You're like, God, seriously? And so today, I want to, like, like for the next, I don't know, seven, six, five, eight weeks, I don't, I don't even know. For the next X number of weeks, um, we're going to walk through John chapter 11. Um, this is probably going to be the longest amount of time um, in the 10 years that I've preached here. This is going to be the longest amount of time that I've ever spent on one section of Scripture. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give you the end of the story right up front. All right? I'm going to let you all know exactly what happens. There's a dude named Lazarus, he gets sick, he dies, and Jesus brings him back to life. Like, that's it. That's the entire story. Like, I just told you that Luke is, or, I'm not even nerdy enough for my own illustrations. Like, I just told you that Darth Vader is Luke's father, right? Is that, well, Luke, I am your, anyway, I don't even know where I'm going. This has been a long morning. All right, so I just told you the entire story up front. Lazarus dies, Jesus brings him back to life. It's awesome. But a series of things happen along the way that are incredibly fascinating. And one of the very first things that happen is this issue of trust. And I want to teach you a prayer that I have been praying the past few weeks that came out of mo- a moment of incredible vulnerability um, with God. And, and listen, don't, don't miss this. Um, people ask me all the time, and, and they're like, hey, man, we don't, we don't hear you pray enough. You don't pray enough. When you get up on stage, you don't pray. And, and, and that's because we've already prayed like 87 times before I get up here and worship and communion and all that stuff. And, and that's great, and that's awesome. Um, but also, and, and I joke about this, but it's a little bit serious. Like, I'm not very good. Like, I, I don't, I'm not a great prayer. I don't have all these flowery words, and I don't come up, and, and I just don't, like, all the time feel effective um, in praying. And, and I know that's maybe an excuse or whatever, um, but, but for me, um, I've learned over the years, that I, I just, I kind of get into these little, um, these, these times where it's just like little one-sentence prayers. And, and, and I teach you these, these prayers. I tell you like the things I'm going through. Like, hey, Lord, teach me to see people as I see people. I mean, those are the things that I'm praying like constantly. And, and so a few weeks ago, um, the, I just kind of got into this, this, this thing where, where I just started praying 
um, in these moments where I'm having a difficult time trusting God. Um, and and if, you don't, if you don't walk away with anything else I say today, I really want you to kind of lean into this. It, it's this thing I've been saying it has been super helpful for me, and maybe it will be for you too in moments of doubt and times of uncertainty. It's this, Lord, I can't see you, so help me trust you. Lord, I can't see you, so help me trust you. Listen, there are times that I have a difficult time seeing God. There are. Now, I know people who are like, I see God in everything. Great, awesome. There are times, there are days that I can't see him. There are days that I can't feel his presence. There are days that I have doubts. Are there not days that you have doubts? I think there are days that all of us have doubts. And so in, 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 in those times of doubt, instead of denying that, I just tell him, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't see you. Help me, God. I need some help here. Help me to trust you. And I've told you this before, and I believe this with all my heart, that God wants us to be real. And I believe he honors openness over hypocrisy. I, I really do. And so with that in mind, let's jump into John chapter 11, and we're going to get through six verses today. Um, and as we get into it, let me, let me kind of set it up like this. If Scripture says something, it's important, yes or no? If Scripture says something, it's important, yes or no? Yes, but if you see a pattern in Scripture, like something is repeated over and over and over again, we should probably pay attention to that. We should probably lean into that a little bit, yes or no? Yes, the reason i got to point that out is because that's what happens in this text right here. Here we go, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was, what's that word say? What? Sick. He's sick. He's just sick. We don't know what sickness he has. We just know Lazarus is and, and don't miss this. John just doesn't tell us one time. John is going to hammer this point down. Watch this. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. All right, John, like you told us in verse 1, now you're going to tell us in verse 2. We probably should pay attention. He's sick, right? Verse 3. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear, dear friend is very, <laughs> all right, there's something going on here, right? Lazarus, at the end of the day, if you're going to use one word to describe Lazarus at this point in the story, we're all going to say that Lazarus is sick. And we know that because John made it obvious. Here's why this is a big deal. In the ancient world 2,000 years ago, you didn't admit that you had a sickness. You didn't admit that you were sick. Like if you had leprosy, if you had a skin disease, you tried to cover it up. You tried to hide it. If you had a sickness, you wanted to do everything possible to hide it because sickness was considered to be judgment from God, like you were being judged. If there was sin in your life, people said there's something wrong in your life. So if you were sick, people were like, Oh, something's wrong in your life, because if you really love Jesus, you wouldn't be sick, because people who love Jesus don't get sick. And so admitting that you were sick was a really, 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 really big deal. But don't miss this. Lazarus got to the point where he didn't care. He didn't care who knew he was sick. All he wanted was to get well, which kind of side note to the whole thing, that's where healing begins when we admit it. The reason that some of us have never gotten healed from an addiction, um, from, from stuff in our past, is because we haven't taken the time. We haven't taken the time to confess it. And healing starts right there. We'll get into that more, more later. Now, real quick, 
three types of sickness that we typically deal with. The first one, physical sickness. Physical sickness. I'm the guy that will not go to the doctor until I wake up in the ER because I passed out somewhere. I just will not go. <laughs> like, I'll have the sniffles. Like, you going to go to the doctor? No. I'm fine. I'm all right. <laughs> like, my arm could be hanging off by a tendon. You going to go to the doctor for that, Ryan? No. Just a flesh wound. I'm all right. Like, fine. I told you a couple months ago about a time I was sick, and I kept putting off and putting off getting checked out. And, and the doctor was talking to me, and I kept telling the doctor I was fine. I really wasn't fine. And I finally got to the ER, and the surgeon was like, you know, if you had gotten here sooner. I was like, I know, but I didn't get here sooner, so fix me now. I, I didn't say that because he's about to cut me open, um, but I thought it. But we, we get that, right? We resonate with that. When we're physically sick, we understand that there are times that we put it off way too long, and we know, honestly, if we had just gotten to the doctor sooner, it could have gotten handled. It's the same thing emotionally. It's number two, emotional sickness. Like if you struggle with anxiety or depression or despair. Now, I know in the church world, we're not supposed to talk about that. And we, we don't talk about it because, well, if you talk about it in Christian circles, people will be like, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm praying for you. But then... They look down on us because somehow in the church world, we've got this all messed up where we think that if you have anxiety, if you've got depression, if you're living in despair, you obviously don't love Jesus, and that can't be further from the truth. But because of that, it keeps us from speaking out. Or, or what about spiritual sickness? Spiritual sickness. I'm not walking with God, I'm like limping with God. And I don't know what's going wrong, I can't figure this out. Like I, I can't figure out what's wrong, but I don't want to say anything. Because as soon as I say something, people are going to look down on me. And people are going to talk about me. And so I'm not going to say nothing, I'm just going to keep quiet. In fact, let me give you three big reasons that we don't say anything. Especially when it comes to emotional and spiritual sickness. The first reason, um, letter A or number one, is fear. Fear. We've talked about this before. We all have fears. And if I were to call you up here and I were to give you the microphone and you were to talk about your fears, there would be some that we all nod our heads with and be like, yeah, I'm afraid of that. There would be some that we think, man, that's just goofy, man. That's just irrational, right? Like, like I have irrational fears. My two big irrational fears, mice and clowns. Right Now, I know, I know, I know, I'm a grown man. I should not be afraid of mice and clowns. But I'm terrified that a mouse is going to run up my pant leg and bite me, and I'm going to die of some incurable disease. And I'm absolutely terrified of grown men who paint their face all goofy and come up to you and go, <laughs> and squirt you with a flower. I just like, that just terrifies me. And, and I know they're irrational. <laughs> But we all have fears, and we all have to overcome fears. Um, one of the things, I'm going to say this right here, um, um, one of the things that's becoming very real in our society today is fear associated with social media. And, and I'm not the anti-social media guy. I just think you should have to take an intelligence test before you log on. Because everybody has a, an opinion about your life, Right? People who don't even know you, they're anonymous. They're just sitting in their mom's basement firing off emails to you. Who cares what Jimmy Shoes 87 said, thinks about what you wore to work yesterday? But, but we, we allow that to consume us. I've shared with you before some of the hate mail that I get on social media. And, um, and, and, and it's all true, and it's all bad, and it's all nasty. We don't make any of that stuff up. 
But, but you know what I've learned? And I've learned this over time. Um, it's taken me an incredibly long time to get here. But here's the thing I want you to, one of the big things I want you to walk away with today. Um, the quickest way to lose sight of what God says about me is to get hyper-focused on what other people say about me. That, that's true. The quickest way to lose sight of what God says about me is to get hyper-focused on what people who don't even know me, who I'm not even in relationship with, who I don't even see on a daily basis, to get hyper-focused on what they say about me. I want you to all to understand that in Christ, in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you are in Christ. And in Christ, you are not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. And God says you are forgiven. And God says you are free. And God has called you to live an abundant life. No matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what has happened, we need to focus on who God says we are and not live in fear of what somebody might say about us if we say this or don't say this or go here or don't go there. So fear, I'm telling you, you don't have to be afraid to say that you've got a problem. Because guess what? Everybody in this room, everybody, everybody is completely jacked up. Don't believe me? Look at the person sitting on your right right now. Look at the person sitting on your left. Ladies, hide your purses because this is a jacked up crowd. You know, you know what I'm saying? We're like, we're like messed up, all of us. But fear. The second thing, that we, the second reason we don't admit is shame. All of us have experienced shameful things. We've all had shameful experiences, right? Years ago, um, I won't tell you this whole story because it's long and it's bad and it's nasty and it's disgusting. Um, at any point during the story, if you throw up a little bit in your mouth, just swallow it back down, it'll be okay. Um, years ago, I was in the hospital for that reason why I didn't tell the doctor and I ended up in the ER and um, I had to have stomach surgery. And um, and after a couple days in the hospital, um, I had a, had a problem come up. Um, let me just say this, like, kind of as discreetly as possible. Um, they had told me um, that when you pass gas, you're on the road to recovery. And so that moment came, but it wasn't gas. And I messed the bed. It was bad. It, it was probably... Stop laughing at me. It was hands down the most embarrassing event of my entire life. And there have been plenty of bad events in my life. There have been plenty, of, but this was, this was it. I laid, this is a true story. I laid there for 45 minutes. 45 minutes I laid there trying to figure out how to clean up the mess myself. I'm panicking. I'm freaking out. Mary isn't there. And I'm just like, I, I couldn't move. I mean, that's. My stomach was cut up like this, man. I could not move at all. But I'm trying to figure out how to clean it up. And I finally realized I can't do this by myself. And so I pushed the nurse button, and the, and the nurse came in. How can I help? Oh, dear Lord! We need a crash cart in here! And I'm like, no, nobody died. Something died in me, but nothing like, I don't, it was, it was bad. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> From time to time, I see her in the community. Usually when I'm out to eat, and every time it causes me so much shame and embarrassment. I've never been more happy in my life that somebody is Catholic and will never come into this church, like ever. Like, I shouldn't have said that. I'm really sorry. 
I know it wasn't my fault because people tell me that all the time. Well, it's fine. And I know it was her job, and she probably sees it all the time. And when she sees me, she probably doesn't even remember it. But, it, but there's just so much, there's so much shame involved. And that's what happens a lot of times. Because listen, there are people in here right now that because of what you did or because of what was done to you, you feel incredible shame. And you don't talk about it, but you keep pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. But let me tell you the reason why it's so healthy to get it out, and it's this. Shame shackles us to the past and stops us from stepping into an amazing future. Shame shackles us to the past and stops us from stepping into an amazing future. So at the end of the day, listen to me, I understand what it's like to feel shame, but I also understand what it feels like for the shackles of shame to fall to the ground and to step into freedom when we just confess it out loud and admit, hey, I'm sitting in a mess. The third reason people won't admit it is because they've seen what happens to other people who admit that they're sick. In the church world, they just disappear. I, I remember having a conversation with a girl one time. This is years ago before we, we moved here um, to Iowa. Um, her story was that she grew up in church. Um, she was very involved in youth group. Um, she had went away to college. She was involved in college groups. She came back. Um, she, was, she was working in the church office. Um, she was volunteering. Um, she was ahead of a bunch of committees. And she said, hey, I was dating a guy. I knew I shouldn't be dating him. I knew I shouldn't be with him, but I was. I was dating him. We were messing around. Next thing you know, I got pregnant. And she said, I need to help. And so I met with the pastor um, to talk to him, and, a, and, a, and, a, and the pastor and a couple of the church leaders, um, they came in, and they are like, hey, here's what we need to happen. We need you to resign from every committee. We're not going to allow you to work in the church office anymore. And if you choose to attend, this is a true story, if you choose to attend, we need you to come in once the music starts, and we need you to sit in the back row, and we need you to leave during the closing song. And people wonder why church attendance in America is decreasing. It's because of religious idiots like that. Because see, religion kicks you out, but Jesus draws you in. As you read through the scriptures, you see that. Religion kicks people out, but Jesus always draws people in. I keep thinking, what would Jesus say? What would Jesus, what would Jesus say to the 22-year-old unwed pregnant girl? What would Jesus say? What would he say? Because as I read through the Bible, I've discovered that when people are in a position that they wish they weren't in, they don't need a lecture, they don't need a sermon, they don't need a song, they need love. And people say, well, doesn't love endorse their sin? No, no way. Love tells them, I don't care how messy you are. I don't care how far you've fallen. I don't care how big of a mess you're sitting in. We're going to walk through this thing together. That's what I think Jesus meant, church, when he said, hey, you need to love one another. And so at the end of the day, my prayer, my vision for this church is that no one here would say, hey, I'm messed up and feel like no one will accept you, that people will look down on you, that, that people will kick you out. I want this to be the safest place in the world where you say, hey, I messed up, and everybody here says, me too. Let's figure out how to walk through this thing together. That's the vision of this church. And I hope, I hope, I hope, and I pray that that's what you want to be on board with because that's where we're going. Verse number four, but when Jesus heard about it, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus is, is sick, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Hold up. What happened to Lazarus? He what? He died. Have you ever doubted God's word? Have you? I have. 
I'm just going to go ahead and admit, I, I have. Listen, I believe his word is true. I believe it's 100% true. I believe it's infallible. I believe every word is profitable. I believe it's applicable to my life. But sometimes I say, I believe it. God help me believe it. Because think about this. In the Bible, John chapter 1, verse 1, says, in the beginning was the what? Anybody know? The word. Anybody want to guess who that is? Jesus, right? So, so Jesus is the word. And the word says Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. But dude died. What, what, what do you do there with that? Like, like what, what, what is that? And then it goes on to say this. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. All right, well, Lazarus is in death, not going to end in death, but he died. It's, it's all for God's glory. Like, what, what's going on here? Like, I'm confused. And for me, as I think through this, like the beautiful thing about this, because remember, Jesus does ultimately bring Lazarus back to life. And so what, what I see in this and what I want you to get, into the, get out of this is this. No matter your situation, no, no matter, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter where you've been, um, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what you've done, when it happened, no matter any of that, no matter your situation, Jesus has no limitation. In other words, Jesus said the sickness won't end in, end in death, and people go, well, Lazarus died. And I would say, yes, but the story wasn't over. Because, see, as long as Jesus, don't miss this, as long as Jesus is involved in the story, the story's not over. And so I don't know what has died in you. I don't know if hope has died in you. I don't know if joy has died in you. I don't know if freedom has died in you. But Jesus can bring that back to life. Because as we say all the time around here, if you're not dead, God's not. If you're not dead, God's not done. He still has a hope and a plan and a future for you because you were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose. But this glory of God thing, like I started thinking about it, and I want to point this out because it's in the text. As I read this glory of God thing, I really started thinking and reflecting this week, and, and I wrote down um, some myths, if you will, some myths that we believe in the church world. Um, these are three common myths that church people believe. And, and I know these, these might seem like review to some of you, um, but I really need to address these at the beginning of the series because they might come into play um, later on. And so three myths involving the glory of God. Um, myth number one, um, my suffering is for the glory of God. My suffering is for the glory of God. You ever heard that? My suffering, your suffering. Hey, brother. Hey, sister, God wants you to suffer so he can get glory. You need to suffer so God can get How messed up is that? Like he's some divine child abuser? Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, 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 don't run out of here and don't, don't mess up my theology, all right? Suffering can bring glory to God. I've seen people suffer, and I've seen them suffer well. I watched a great, 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 great friend of mine love Jesus while he was dying of cancer. And, and that actually has strengthened my faith in Jesus. It hasn't torn it down. But, but to think that God has to cause you to suffer to get glory? Think about how sick that is for just a second. What if a, what if a, how many of you are dads? How many of you are dads? Raise your hand. What if I called one of you dads up on stage today and you said, hey, listen, dads and moms, I want y'all to come over to my house this afternoon and watch me beat my kid. And as I beat my kid, I want you to tell me how awesome I am and sing songs to me. Why don't y'all come on over and do that? Like none of you would say, whoo, 
Got my Sunday afternoon all figured out. Honey, grab some popcorn. We're going to go watch a man beat his kid. None of us would do that because that's jacked up. Listen, is there suffering in the world? Yes. Do we have to go through pain and hardship? Yes, absolutely. But does God make us go through it just so he can get glory? I don't think so. I don't. Because the description, think about this. The description that Jesus used for God, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you read through the Gospels, the description that Jesus used for God the most was to call him what? Father, right? Jesus said we could call him Father. He is our perfect heavenly Father. He's not some jacked up maniac sitting in heaven with a video surveillance system who wants us to screw up so he can catch us and punish us and watch us suffer. God wants us to get it right way more than we want to get it right. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you will not go through suffering. I'm just saying God is not beating you down so he can get the glory. That's one of the sickest things I've ever heard. It's almost as messed up as this. God doesn't want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. You know what's embarrassing about that? Is I've taught that before. I did. I, I thought that. Like, have you ever met the Christian that's not happy but they're holy? Which means they've got a lot of spiritual activity that makes them absolutely miserable. They're like, hey, Take everything happy out of your life. Get rid of all that. Take everything you hate doing, put it in your life, and that's Christianity. Woohoo! Jump on! What? This is what I started to think. All right, work with me here for a second. I don't know if this has worked in any of the services, but, but this works in my head. Where in the universe is the presence of God going to be the most real when it comes to eternity? It's a place called what? Heaven, not the roof, not the lights. Heaven, right? I, I want to go there. How many of you want to go there? Not today, but sometime in the future. I want to go there. It's going to be awesome. Um, now, the thing that is going to be um, the most prominently displayed in heaven is the glory of God. Now, we don't know a lot about heaven. There's a lot of books written on it. They don't really know what they're talking about because the Bible doesn't really talk a whole lot about it. It's got little snapshots, um, and it's, it, we know it's going to be awesome. But the thing that's going to be the most prominently displayed in heaven is the glory of God. In other words, God's holiness. All right? Can we all admit God's holiness is going to be on display in heaven? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Now, in heaven, do you think that we will be happy or we will be sad? We will be happy. I know somebody's going to be like, we're going to be sad. There's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, it's going to suck for you, all right? Like, uh, but for the rest of us, we're going to be what? Happy. So our happiness and, and God's holiness in eternity will hold hands. So if that's the case, why in the world do we think it has to be separate here on earth? When Jesus says, I have come to give you an abundant life. Think about this. If Jesus said, I've come to give you an abundant life, that, that, that encompasses everything, and that includes joy. What brings you joy? What's the one thing that brings you the most joy? For me, hands down, there's not even a close second. The thing that brings me the most joy in life is to hear my kids laugh. Nothing, 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 nothing brings me more joy than to hear Chloe or Jaira laugh. If you're a parent, you get this, right? How many of you are parents in the room? Don't you love to hear your kids laugh? And I'm not talking about a fake laugh. I'm not talking about teenager laugh. I'm not talking about, oh, good dad joke, dad, idiot. I'm not, I've never heard that, by the way. I, I've heard some of you have, but I haven't. <laughs> um, 
But I'm talking about the belly laugh that kind of just comes out of nowhere, man, and just like it just explodes, like the uncontrollable giggles. You know what I'm talking about, moms and dads? You, you know what I'm talking about? You will do anything, will you not? Anything, anything, anything to hear that over and over and over again, won't you? Don't believe me? Watch parents out in public with their kid. Their IQ drops 80 points when they're trying to get their kids giggle. What the heck is that? You don't do that to each other. You don't walk up to, to other adults and be like, hey, how you doing? Unless you're John Sampson, right? You don't do that to your boss. Got your nose. Like, John's going to go buy clown makeup after this service. I just know it. I love you. Where are you? Kitty, kitty, kitty. You know how you do that with your kid, though? It's because you, you want them to laugh. Parents, is it not true that when our kids laugh, we're filled with joy, yes or no? Yes. So why in the world would we think that's true of us and not think it's true of our Heavenly Father, our perfect Heavenly Father? In fact, one of the things I wrote down years ago, um, I don't even remember who said this, um, but, but I wrote it down, and it reminds me of who my Father in heaven is, and, and it's this. Um, God doesn't want me to be filled with resentful submission, but rather wants me to be filled with absolute joy. God does not want me to be filled with resentful submission. He wants us to be filled with absolute joy. And that's true for me, and it's true for you too. Number three, sickness is simply a lack of faith and effort. You ever heard that? There are branches of Christianity, people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, that say, hey, you got cancer? It's because you don't have enough faith. You're sick? It's because you don't have enough faith. You're not feeling great in your relationship with God? Well, just do more. Just try harder. Oh, you're stressed out? Oh, you're freaked out? You're having a tough time? Do more. Try harder. I, I've got a sinus cold going on right now. I, feel, I sound really goofy in my head right now. I don't know how it sounds to you guys, but it's bad. And the other day, I was telling somebody about it, and they're like, you just need to pray, and you just need to have, and you just, just be faithful and just trust God. Really? Really? I have prayed for days. God, let me get through Sunday. Let me get through it. Let me have it, God, let me have it. And there's still snot dripping down the back of my throat right now. How's that working out for you? For those of you who believe, oh, you don't have enough faith? You're sick? Just have more faith. See, I don't think sickness is a lack of faith and effort. I think sickness is a result of us living in a fallen world. And, and sickness causes us, at times, to not be able to see Jesus clearly. That's why when we're sick, the sooner we admit it, the quicker we can step into the healing process. Lazarus, sick three times, three times. He, he ultimately wound up dying, but he comes back to life. It's pretty incredible, and it shows us that healing is a process. John goes on to tell us, verse 5, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, so did Jesus love him, yes or no? Yes, no question about the love of Jesus right here. Loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He stayed where he was for the next two days. Jesus stands up. Don't miss it. He stands up. He's like, hey, this sickness will not end in death. And then he sits back down. He's like, hey, pass the mashed potatoes. Like, they're like, Jesus, aren't we going to go? Like, Lazarus, yeah, yeah, we're going to go. But Jesus, he's sick. He's your friend. Yeah, we're going to go, just not right now. 
And one of the things I love about this passage that we're really going to look at in a couple of weeks is that Jesus loves us enough to wait. Don't miss that. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves us enough to wait. Because Jesus could have just spoken the words and Lazarus would have been healed on the spot. But Jesus wanted to do more than just heal a sick person. He wanted to bring a dead person back to life. Which shows us that oftentimes Jesus wants to do way more in our lives than what we're really asking for. Because his plans really are greater than our plans. So let me wrap up today by just saying three final thoughts about these verses and about this series that we're going into. Number one, when it comes to pain, when it comes to confusion, when it comes to sickness, the anxiety, the depression, the worry, the blank that has you buried, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. You know know what else that, that we hear from this? That when we're going through that, Jesus understands a phrase that we say here all the time, that we can't do life alone. We don't want you to do life alone. I can't do life alone. You can't do life alone. The reason we say that is because we understand healing has never taken place in isolation. Jesus gave us one another so we could step through the healing process. That's why we have an invitation every week here at Central. People ask, why do you do that thing at the end where people come up and get prayed for? That's why we do it. That's why we do it, because we understand that you can't do life alone. You know what you find up here? during the last song when people are standing up here, people who will listen to you, people who won't try to solve your problems, people that will pray for you and pray with you and tell you, hey, whatever you're walking through, I will walk through it with you. This is not the place where you have to be afraid to raise your hand and say, I'm not okay, and nobody listen. This is the place where you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm not okay, and all of us say, me too. And we say that because we understand Jesus knows. Jesus knows what you're going through. The second thing is that Jesus cares. Jesus cares. Because see, one of the things that happens to us when we get in the middle of pain and suffering and confusion and fear and anxiety and worry and we feel buried is that we think Jesus doesn't actually care about us. Listen, he absolutely cares about you and absolutely cares about what you're going through. That's why I'm so excited about the next several weeks as we dive deeper into these verses. Third, is that I promise you, 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 Jesus is at work. He is at work. He's at work in your situation. Remember, no matter your situation, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter when it happened, no matter your situation, Jesus has no limitation. Listen, I believe he does his best work when we're not even aware that he's working. Because think about this, while Mary and Martha are freaking out because their brother is about to die, while Lazarus is freaking out because he's about to die, Jesus has plans to let him die so he can bring him back to life. And so today, whatever is dead inside of you, whatever is dying inside of you, you need to know and you need to understand, church, Jesus can bring it back to life. And we've got to stop listening to the voice of the enemy and start listening to the one who actually paid the price for our sins. And so my hope is that you leave here today filled with hope. But understand that Jesus knows, that Jesus cares, and Jesus is at work. And if you can't see him, just tell him, hey, I can't see you. Help me trust you. 
Let's stand and let's sing about the goodness and the greatness of our God. And at any time during this, during this song, as I said, if there's something going on, there's something in your life that has you, that has you just worried, that has you freaked out, that has you feeling like you're buried, come up here and let our prayer team pray with you and pray for you. You won't find judgment. You won't find condemnation up here. You know what you'll find up here? Compassion. And you'll find the love of Jesus. Let's sing.